0: Adventures of a Street Musician by Mickey Zeekley, Episode 6. A Riot by Any Other Name. Bob Thomas, Kathy Whitesides, Kate Reed and I were hired to play street music at Cal Expo, the California State Fair. Bob and I played Scottish Bagpipes, Kathy the Fiddle, and Kate the tenor field drum. We were allowed to play music and pass the hat anywhere in the fair that we wanted to go for 20 days. This was a first for the state fair. We set up camp in the parking lot of the rodeo. Kate and I staying in the ruptured duck, a funky old camper truck, and Bob and Kathy residing in the tortoise A refugee from a milk company. The cowboys were friendly enough to us and very curious about the long-haired neighbors and totally amused by us also. We found a good spot to play by the exhibit halls. Most of the day was spent standing in the spot and playing and passing the hat and at the end of each day we would walk away with a shopping bag full of money. The third day of the fair, we noticed a small black kid, about nine years old, watching us play. And he was very interested in what we were up to and he was watching intently. Over the next few days, we noticed this kid in our audience again and again, but he wasn't watching us anymore. He was watching our hat. When we realized that if we didn't take some action, he would eventually grab the hat and make a run with it. The next day, our little friend showed up again. And I told the rest of the band to keep playing while I took a walk. I went around the back of the crowd until I got behind our little friend. And I got right next to him. And I whispered in his ear, do you see that guy with the bagpipes? And he said, yeah. And I say, see that leather pouch on his belt? He has a gun in it. And he would shoot anybody that took our hat. He didn't really have a gun in there, but I thought it made a good story. And our friend there commented, "Ooh." we didn't see him the next day. But he was back the following day, still trying to figure out how to get our money. I walked up to him during our break, and I gave him a harmonica that I found in our camper. He took the harmonica and went off with it. About five days later, we saw him at a corner of the fair, playing a simple tune on the harmonica, with a hat full of money in front of him, Bless Free Enterprise. This is the fair when I invented the contest. We would lay a tightly tensioned drum on the ground and then draw a line about 40 feet back from it and shout loudly announcing that there was going to be a contest with a prize. The winner would get a tune named after them. It was always amazed me at how excited people would get at the idea of winning something. They would start throwing hands full of coins at the drum, only to have it bounce off the tension skin. Well, eventually someone would win. We would then play some obscure tune, naming it with their name. The winner was always delighted. Every day at four thirty, we would go to the race track at the fair, and get ready to play for the crowd on their way home after the last race. You could always tell the losers from the winners. The winners were always smiling and would always put a dollar to $5 in our hat for good luck. The losers would usually look down at their feet and just walk by. One fellow must have had a particularly good day. He put $50 in our hat. One day, we were playing at our normal spot and a riot broke out. 500 bored teenagers from the area came to the fair and went on a rampage. It was a combination of a hot summer and not enough to do. Some exhibits were ruined and fighting was the order of the day. But we, the band, played on. I felt like Nero watching Rome burn. The hooligans left us alone. The police arrived and the summer sun burned on. Just before flying to London, Bob Thomas gave us a copy of an amazing book called View Over Atlantis. This book showed how the ancient Celtic monuments, such as Stonehenge and Avebury in England, and Carnac in Brittany, and others, were a part of an ancient vast power grid linked by ley lines. The book made interesting reading on the long plane flight. It had been very cloudy with no view from the window at all. Just as I was reading an interesting part of the book about Stonehenge, the cloud cover opened for an instant to reveal to me Stonehenge and all its ancient splendor. This coincidence led us on an adventure, exploring the mysteries of ancient Celtic places of power and magic. Karnak is an ancient stone and earthwork like Stonehenge In Brittany, the Celtic part of France, there are long lines of standing stones, believed by some to be related directly to Stonehenge, and other ancient works there also. Near Carnac is a hill called St. Michael's Mount, not Le Monde Saint-Michel. It looks like a giant green pimple on the otherwise flat landscape. There are caves inside and a large church on top. This mound is believed to be man-made and is much older than the church on top of it. And it is made up of different layers of materials, seemingly consciously chosen and arranged. Evidently, this hill is identical to the idea of an orgone chamber as proposed by Wilhelm Reich. We went exploring. We found a locked iron gate blocking the way into the bowels of the mount. It was a long hike up to the top and the church. No one was there to let us into the catacombs. We looked down the hill and there was an ancient, gnarled man waving to us and calling, Americans, Americans. I found it strange that he knew that we were Americans He could not have heard us talking, and we were dressed European and had a car with Dutch license plates. We walked down to the locked opening in the mound and met the gatekeeper to the underworld. It was likely that he had been there since the beginning of time. His eyes had the white rims of San Paku, and his voice made you shiver. He took a large rusted key and unlocked the iron gate, and we entered a chamber under the mountain that had every inch of the wall, the ceiling, the floor, covered with a coating of wax from hundreds of years or centuries that people had been coming there. In the book I was reading, View Over Atlantis, there was a map of the inside of the subterranean maze with all its side passages and dead ends. We lit tallow candles and followed our guide into the mount. He stopped many times at different side passages and chanted in a language that we had never heard before. Not French, not Breton or Latin. When we were deep in these powerful feeling chambers, he turned before us, and stood straight and tall, coming toward us, screaming, Christus Malad, Christus Malad. He blocked the way we came in. Lucky I remembered the layout of the system, and we ran out of the cave, and got in our van and fled. London. Kate and I were busking in London on Portobello Road, a street market that had been going on for centuries, where now there was mostly, in one area, antiques and unusual items like that for sale. And in the middle of the market, there was all kinds of food items. And at the other end of the market was kind of the tatty market with used clothing and other kind of discarded items. A very interesting place. Playing a few tunes in front of one of the market corners on a fine Saturday morning. When it was time for some pub food and some lager and lime. So we headed to one of our favorite pubs. An old blind Irish accordion player always played at this pub on market days. We were blessed by beautiful weather and the accordion player was playing outside the pub in the warm sun. We were a short distance from the pub and could see and hear the old gentleman playing. Two kids dashed out of the pub and poured a pitcher of beer over his head. He just laughed and kept playing the Irish set dance, the humor's abandoned. Every time I hear that tune, I relive that moment in seeing his beer dumped on him and him laughing. We were filmed by a Yugoslavian film crew doing a documentary by Busking in London. We were happy to take the 20 pounds they paid us, a multicultural event, two Americans playing Irish music on a London street corner and being filmed for Yugoslavian television. Enrolled in the School of Life, living in London on the street in the dead of winter in a Volkswagen van, making our way by playing our tunes, relying on the kindness of people to fill our hat so we could buy food for another day. That was life being a busker in London. Mr. Bingham. Before my first trip to the British Isles, I obtained an interesting antique musical instrument catalog for my friend Julius Guido. Gartar maker extraordinaire. The catalogue was from a shop called Tony Bingham, purveyor of rare and unusual musical instruments, at the sign of the serpent. Shortly after arriving in London, I called Mr. Bingham and asked if Kate and I could come by his premises, and I could inspect what he had to offer. I saw in this catalog a practice set of Illin bagpipes by Tad Crowley, and I was very interested in them. We made an appointment for the next day, and I pictured in my mind Mr. Bingham as an English gentleman in his 60s or older, thin of build, puckered cheeks, wearing a black formal three-piece suit, a perfect character from the silver screen in my mind. We took the underground to the Hampstead Station and walked down the hill to Willoughby Road and found the proper address to a flat in much need of paint repair and patching. A fellow a few years older than myself with hair like a bush answered the door and invited us in we meant to only take a few minutes of Mr. Bingham's time, but instead we became instant long-term friends and stayed on at Willoughby Road for almost a year with amazing Tony Bingham. The room we stayed in was amazing. Where else could you get a room with 27 antique bassoons under the bed, a wall full of hurdy-gurdies, a glass harmonica as a nightstand, and a priceless porcelain serpent on the table that you're always afraid of knocking off and shattering. Willoughby Road was next to the Hampstead Heath, a large park-like common in the middle of this very interesting part of London. Tony was expecting a number of guests from out of the country, So we decided to go stay on the Heath in our Volkswagen bus, try camping in central London in a VW bus in the snow in the middle of winter sometime. In the middle of the night, we heard many horses galloping, men shouting and horns blowing. The next day we asked around the area and no one was aware of this happening. We were told that the last hunt on Hampstead Heath happened over a hundred years prior. This podcast is a part of a series, Adventures of a Street Musician, by Mickey Zekley. The music that you've been hearing is from the album Fiona's Folly by Mickey and Elizabeth Zekley. You can download this album on iTunes, Amazon.com, and CD Baby. You can find out more about Mickey, Zeekly and Mickey and Elizabeth's music by going to CelticWeddingMusic.net.